it's always been big for me. I think, uh, you know, my thing is fulfilling my end of the, the agreement. And, uh, you know, a big part of that is being able to be available and be healthy. So, you know, a lot of that's been the off season, just like I said, rehabbing, uh, making sure that's good on that end. And, yeah, I, I truly feel like if I'm out there for 17 games plus, you know, I'll do what I need to do. And um, that's the point. That was Broncos outside linebacker Randy Gregory, who we heard from today for the first time since last season. Uh, signed a five-year, $70 million contract with the Broncos last offseason, but played in only six games due to a knee injury. Uh, tough year for Randy Gregory, but he is he's back. He's healthy. He's participated in training camp, um, played in the first preseason game, um, and, and talked today about how he's in a good spot. So we're going to talk about that and some other things here on the Not Another Bucking podcast. Welcome in. My name is Nick Kosmider. I've been covering the Broncos since 2020 for The Athletic, uh, and we're glad to have you. We have an awesome guest today that we're going to get to in just a little bit. Ryan Harris, Super Bowl 50 champion with the Broncos, now um, analyst doing analyst work for the Broncos during their preseason games on Nine News, uh, works with CBS Sports, uh, analyst for, for Notre Dame football, author. Uh, we were really excited to have him. Great conversation with Ryan on the show today. Before we jump to that, though, just kind of want to talk about the week that has been at Broncos training camp. Denver goes up to San Francisco, Santa Clara, actually, at Levi Stadium on Saturday to play the 49ers in preseason game number two. A couple big focuses the Broncos will have heading into this second preseason game. Number one, Javante Williams is going to make his return to action, going to uh, make his return after suffering that awful knee injury October of last year. Um, against the Raiders in week four. We've chronicled both on this podcast and in my writing at The Athletic, um, you know, what, what that journey has been like, kind of the way that he has impressed teammates and coaches alike uh, with his rehab. Um, but this is kind of that last real step that he needs, um, you know, almost 11 months removed from that injury to get in there, get tackled to the ground, get hit. Sean Payton says Javante Williams will play somewhere between 12 and uh, 10 to 12 snaps. He hopes that that equates to about three or four carries, maybe a target in the passing game. Um, they just want to get him that overall feel, uh, again, getting hit, getting that contact. And and the big thing after that is is waking up Sunday morning, waking up Monday morning, um, you know, and feeling good about where he's at, feeling like, you know, hey, got some bumps and bruises, a little bit sore, but but feeling as though, hey, we, we got through this healthy and now we can look ahead to week one. Uh, that's going to be a really big deal for the Broncos. Again, I, I think you'll you'll see him. He won't play as much as the rest of the starters, who who Sean Payton said probably about twenty to twenty four plays. And if we go against, you know, go to the Cardinals arithmetic when they were supposed to play fifteen to eighteen, and ended up being about twenty one. I think it wouldn't be a surprise to see the Broncos play close to the whole first half, but the starters that is. Of course, um, you know, it all it can be situationally dependent. I think had the Broncos scored on their third touchdown or scored a touchdown on their third drive last week, maybe they don't come back into the game like they did for the, for that fourth drive where they did score the touchdown. So it'll be a little bit dependent on game flow, whether Sean Payton and, and the staff see some of the things that they want to see. Uh, earlier on, but they're going to get a healthy dose of action. They will certainly play into the second quarter, maybe all the way up to halftime. We'll just kind of have to see how that goes. Um, and another thing within those, within that to look at is, is Marvin Mims, the Broncos top draft pick. He was the second to last pick of the second round, but their number one draft pick, 
he was hampered by hamstring injuries in the off season, uh, during OTAs, um, dealt with that a little bit. And then, and then training by the start of training camp, he was still out within the first week. He was starting to do, um, individual drills, progress to team stuff. They brought him along slowly with limited reps, but, and he obviously did not play against the Cardinals. Um, but Marvin Mims has kind of graduated to, to full speed, um, you know, healthy amount of reps with the, you know, w- with the starters, uh, or some with the starters, others with the second team, but just getting a lot more run and practice had a big catch recently in a two minute drill from Russell Wilson. Um, again, so he's going to be a guy that, that is battling with Montreal Washington for that punt returner spot. Washington had a really nice game against the Cardinals, uh, wrote about him at the athletic this week and sort of how his approach to, to that job as a punt returner has really evolved. Uh, but they drafted Mims for that reason. Um, and also so that he could take the top off of defenses. He's got that kind of next gear speed that they're missing now that KJ Hamler is not on the roster. So, so Marvin Mims, another thing to look for in this game, just to kind of see how he fits into this offense, what he does special teams wise. Again, our first look at him, just like it's our first look this season of Javante Williams. Last thing with this game is, is this again, one of the final auditions for a number of players hanging on that fringe to try to put their best foot forward. Uh, you know, big one that I think everybody's very curious about is Jalil McLaughlin. Obviously Javante Williams is going to get his snaps. Samaje Pirine will follow him. Uh, and then you got Tony Jones, Jalil McLaughlin and, and Dwayne Washington, uh, a guy that played for four years with Sean Payton uh, in, in New Orleans. Payton said Washington who just signed this week probably won't play a lot as he's kind of continuing to get up to speed. So, Again, that's going to be a big opportunity for Jalil McLaughlin, who scored um, Denver's lone second-half touchdown last week to hopefully get some more carries and, and see if he can continue to build on what he's shown both in the training camp practices and in his one drive of action against the Cardinals. Um, you know, Elijah Garcia, who, who had two sacks in the second half, they really like the way that he's progressed on that defensive line. Can he go there and, and put something else on tape that gives him a chance to maybe squeeze into the back end of this roster? Last couple things that I'm really looking for. Um, can they make kicks? Brett Maher missed two field goals, one of which was blocked, um, kind of barely skirted through his one extra point. Look, he has got to show that he can, in games, make consistently make kicks. Um, until, until that Dallas debacle uh, from their playoff game last year in which he missed four extra points, until that's you know further in the rearview mirror and spaced out uh, with in-between, uh, just consistent made kicks in-between, um, it's going to be a question mark, and his spot as this team's kicker is not going to be solidified. Sean Payton said, look, he's competing against himself. There's seven other kicking competitions going on around the league, and so that's going to create seven available kickers that they will also be looking at. Um, so I think it's it's a huge week for Brett Maher now that Elliot Fry uh, got cut as he's dealing with an injury. Um, and then Riley Dixon, the punter, uh, you know, I don't he doesn't really have competition there. Uh, but he needs to have put forward a better performance than he did in week uh, in week one of the preseason. So kicking game is a big deal. Um, now we'll turn to what Sean Payton wants to see here in game two with a clip followed by our interview with Ryan Harris. Take a listen. You know, you want to see the execution. Um, you know, you want to see a flow and a rhythm to the game. And ultimately you want to see touchdowns. I mean, you know, that that's the main objective when you're playing on offense. A um, little bit better in protection. Um, just a lot of the details that, that we looked at from a week ago. Thrilled to be joined now on the podcast by my man, Ryan Harris, Super Bowl 50 champion with the Broncos, best-selling author, award-winning broadcaster. Ryan, thanks so much for, for joining us today, man. 
Hey, thanks for nailing the intro. I love it, brother. Hey, always great to join you, uh, fellow fellow uh, broadcaster, journalist, and uh, and dad. So great to be here, brother. Yeah, man. Yeah, that that's the part I left out. The most important part. Great, great dad, <laughs> Ryan Harris. There, all around world champion dad. Um, well, thanks, thanks so much for joining us, man. I loved your call uh, Friday night there in the desert. Um, and 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 I'm just curious from from you, like, do you watch the game in a in a different way versus? What are the biggest differences when you when you analyze a game from that lens? Well, I mean, I, I like to tell people I have my doctorate in applied football mechanics and theory. So, yeah, I watch the game differently. You know, and, and for me, it starts with the whole play. You know, much like you're a basketball guy, uh, Nick, you kind of know where the ball's going to go based on how things look. And, and you can kind of do that with football, too. And so, you know, you start to look at the defense. And then at the snap of the ball, you read to make sure the coverage is what you thought it was check the line, follow the ball. And then, uh, you know, and then we got replay cameras and all that and producers. So I, I do watch the game differently. And it wasn't until I was playing with Peyton Manning that I thought that I realized it was okay to watch football that closely in that way. <laughs> and Ryan, what working with Steve Levy, a guy that's, it's called Monday night football games. Uh, what, what, what was that? What's that kind of opportunity been like for you? It's a tremendous opportunity. Steve's a pro and, uh, I'm lucky enough and I've worked hard enough to uh, to be able to get next to some of the greats and learning from them. And Steve Levy's just got great stories, great guy. And to me, sign of a great play-by-play guy is if the play-by-play guy can make you laugh during the broadcast because there's so much going on. And uh, Steve is one of those guys that I've uh, been able to work with with uh, my gift of broadcasting. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so, so as you as you came away from it, you know, I, I think one of the one of the talking points afterward from from Pey- Sean Payton was he said, "I think we got to protect better," and and that's obvious when your quarterback gets hit five times and fourteen dropbacks. From your lens, both as a broadcaster calling the game and also as as a, a former Super Bowl offensive lineman, what was what was your view of of some of the issues that occurred in that in that regard? Well, number one, you need to play better, like Coach said. Um, and, you know, whether it's Coach Payton or Joe Lombardi, they talked about how a lot of players kind of went back to what they knew, some old muscle memory and some old ways of doing things. And when you have a new coach that wants you to use new technique, it all it's because it fits in the overall scheme of the offense. And so that was the biggest issue, I thought, when I looked at it. Also, it's tough, Nick. I mean, you're going against guys who you may or may not have film on them. Um, the intensity is completely different than practice. I know you were out at practice yesterday as I was, and they're practicing at game speed now because they know what guys are going to be coming at them with the intensity and things like that. So um, it's tough to begin the first preseason game and be awesome. you know. And that's what I saw. I saw a team that's learning a new system with new coaches uh, that struggled until their final drive, especially that first unit. That, that's interesting. I, I, I almost think of that um, as you said that about the technique of like you hear people that are trying to learn a new golf swing and they talk about how when they, they you know, they'll do it on the driving range, do it on the driving range. When they get on the course, they just kind of resort back to what they know, what feels comfortable. And, you know, if they're working with a trainer, it's like, hey, I know it doesn't feel right. But overall, in the long term, um, it's going to work out best for you like how hard was that as a lineman to say like to, to tell yourself in a game moment where you, the, you know the, the bullets are flying to like you know stick to the technique you're learning it's tough I mean a lot of guys too they won't tell you this but a lot of guys they'll they'll pay lip service to it and practice okay coach yep I'm gonna use that technique and they go <laughs> on the field they're like look coach doesn't know what he's talking about I'm gonna use my technique that's gotten me here and that's where mistakes happen and um, whether it's communication or playing next to each other 
you just gotta, you have to choose to grow and you have to choose to be aggressive. And that's very tough to do in a first preseason game. And whether guys will tell you the truth or not, I mean, a lot of guys are hoping to get out of there before they think they need to. And whether it's as a lineman, I mean, I've been there thinking, okay, we're gonna have a great first drive. We're gonna be out of here. Oh gosh, now we're three drives in. I wasn't prepared for this, but that's part of that mindset too, Nick. When you are playing at an elite level, you have to love the opportunity. You have to go beyond. This isn't the preseason. This is a chance to play at full speed without mistakes counting against you on your win-loss record. And until you get to that place, you're always going to struggle as a player because the elites, they know. You make the most of the opportunity because these are as close to live live exercises as you're going to get before they start counting. And especially for the Broncos, they open up against their division. So you don't want to make those mistakes later. Rather have them now in preseason. And as a player – to understand you have that freedom, right, to go make mistakes, that's the thing you have to take advantage of because you will not have that the rest of the season. No, and I think one of the – that's an interesting point too. Like Russell Wilson seemed like a guy who he, – he wasn't, you know, rolling his eyes at like, oh, we got to go back out there. Like he seemed – he did seem hungry for it, perhaps especially because, you know, they didn't convert on some of those other drives. We talked to Randy Gregory today for the first time since the end of last season. He says, Russ, Russ is not a guy that I worry about because of that reason, like understanding the embracing of opportunity. What, what, what has just been your overall view of him, not only just in the game, but in the way that he's kind of started working with Sean Payton and, and, and showing a lot of the growth in practice? I think he's making quicker decisions. I think he's more accurate than we saw him last year. And that's what I've seen when I've been at practice. And I think Coach Sean Payton might have saved the season by sending those guys out there for that fourth drive. Did they need it? Maybe not. But uh, they got a ton of confidence from it. And that carried over into practice this week. It carries over into just celebrating as an offense. Okay, we, we know every game we're going to have mistakes, but we want to have things we did well. And they got to practice both of those areas. The other thing about Russell Wilson that I've always loved is his mindset. I mean, he's come out and said before there are no good plays, no bad plays, just the next play. And to get to that level, that's why a Randy Gregory doesn't worry about Russell Wilson because the greats never think about losing. They only think about what has to happen next to win. And Russell is one of those players. As you as we go into the second game, we know that the, the, the starters are going to play. Sean Payton said today 20 to 24 plays. That might get them maybe close to the end of, of the first half. What are the biggest things that you're you're just eager to eager to see against the 49ers? Well, it's going to be a talented defensive front, no matter who's playing from the 49ers. You also want to be able to execute the offense, especially on third down and, you know, get some players going. You want to you want to get a long, sustained drive. You know, one of the things I always look for, Nick, is I want an eight to 10 play drive because typically in practice that doesn't happen. Right. The ones are in for five. You rotate out. And whether you notice it or not, you're kind of training your body for five, six plays at a time. And when I was with the Kansas City Chiefs, one of the things I loved is Andy Reid. He puts the ones out there for 16 plays in a row, week wow. one of training camp. So your body's conditioned to go, you know, 12, 14 plays with two penalties in a long drive, and that can win you serious games. So you want a longer drive that shows a conversion on third down a couple of times because that's how it happens typically in the NFL. This isn't Madden. You don't get to throw 80-yard yeah. touchdown passes every other play. And, and to see the players play together. Um, and understanding the importance and tempo of, of playing in a live game. Couple more for you. The, the, going going to the to, to the second half now. Obviously, the, the cool part about the preseason, fans get to see a lot of these guys that we're watching on a on a day to day basis. Guys like Jalil McLaughlin, uh, Jalil 
McLaughlin, don't call me McLaughlin, um, <laughs> <laughs> doing his thing in the in the preseason. Who who are some of the guys from that kind of back end of the roster that stood out to you in week one and that you're excited to see a little more of against the Niners? Well, I like that Taylor Grimes, young receiver, yeah. had two catches. He was really fun to watch. Drew Sanders is a guy, middle linebacker for the Broncos, that as a rookie has incredible talent and just has to figure out that, you know, offenses are watching him, especially quarterbacks are going to be watching him. And on a third down last week um, against the Cardinals, he jumped a under route on a third and I think it was third and eight or nine. You can't do that, right? You got to drop and make that quarterback throw to a guy who's crossing the field shallow enough for two other players to tackle him. Those are the little things that are tough to learn because you've never had that much attention on you as a player. Because in college, you know, quarterbacks are mostly focused or told where to throw the ball, especially right. nowadays. In the pros, these guys are watching you, and the minute you make a mistake, they're going to capitalize on it. That's a terrible feeling in general in life, right? Like, oh, my gosh, that guy was waiting for me to make that mistake. And that right. could be at the grocery store in line, or it could be anywhere, right? Um, and he, when Drew Sanders figures it out, this is going to be a dynamic player. And a player I was looking forward to seeing uh, was R Riley Moss, a, a corner out of Iowa. This kid is a fantastic interview and a fantastic player. And uh, unfortunately, with the injury, he wasn't you know able to get seen. But then I also like Alex Pelcheski, the right tackle, number 63, had a huge seal block on Jaleel McLaughlin's touchdown. Um, so they got some players. They got some young players. And, of course, I'm big on Greg Dulcich. You really didn't get much time due to injury yeah. last year. But Greg Dulcich is going to be a major piece of the Broncos' success this year. Glad you mentioned Drew Sanders. I asked Vance Joseph about him yesterday. And, and he says, look, we've got some stuff planned for him in the fall that we're not really showing anybody yet. And he also said, like, this guy makes plays that, like, other guys on our team just can't make. And, that, you know, just based on his his athletic talent, he says – time on task. So, so let me just ask you that when, when is a rookie, did you start to, or when do you kind of start to feel like you're figuring it out or does it not happen your rookie year? Does it, does I was it gonna say my year? second year? Yeah. My second <laughs> year. I mean, there's so much new for a rookie and I know a lot of people listening will think, well, this is part of being an adult, but you forget rookies weren't adults. College wasn't the same for me and you, Nick. I mean, you know, I went, I went to college and I either had a 7 a.m. workout or I had a 6.30 a.m. workout. I went to class and I had a two-hour practice and I spent four hours in study hall, stopped by the, you know, the mess hall and went home. And nowadays, guys have training tables. I mean, these guys don't know how to cook. They've never installed cable at their house, you know, things like that. So there's that piece of it, let alone now everybody in your family wants money. I mean, you get asked for money every day in every way. And then you're going against the most physically dominant football players you've ever played to the point where nothing's the same. The ball's not the same. The hash, hashes aren't the same. The speed isn't the same. The sounds aren't the same. The conversations in the locker room in college are like, hey, man, you know, let's go, let's go make it to the dining hall before it closes. Right. And the conversations in the NFL are, man, I was on my yacht this weekend in Miami. We had a blast. You know, it's just totally different. So you start – slowing things start slowing down your second year you're not trying to learn everything for the first time you understand too how you can influence another player I mean one of the things I learned my second year as a lineman is is I can dictate the movement of the linebacker on certain plays by the way I move my hands or shoulders and things like that are the nuance of the game that if you're lucky enough to play long enough you start figuring out what works best for you yeah 
Uh, that's great. Yeah, we, we were different. I think uh, 7 a.m. wasn't typically a waking hour for me, yeah. but if it was, all I was concerned about was where I was going to get a cup of coffee. Um, <laughs> last thing, I really appreciate it, Ryan. Last thing I want to ask you is, I don't know if you saw the, the viral clip going around today of, of Tua Tagovailoa um, giving a play call to members of the media and just basically saying, I want to see if any of you guys can just repeat this back to me. Not tell me what the play is, but just literally if you can repeat the play. And, he, and of course, he says this. And, and nobody can, but I'm just curious with, with these, and it was this long, you know, long list. Is, is there something for every player buried in one of the words of these plays? Like why are play calls so long? Well, one, that's the ego of coaches. That's a whole nother episode, right? <laughs> I mean, one of the best things that Gary Kubiak did uh, the year we won Super Bowl 50 in that West coast offense is he made code words instead of two jets smack double over on one, you get, you know, you get, Hey, we're going Rocky on one. Boom. Um, and I also thought I've always thought if I was a head coach, I would make media members come to a simulated training camp like Nick Cosmeter. What 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 do you want to play tight end wide receiver? Great. Get out there. By the way, we're going to have 30 minutes of an install and then we're going to go practice it. And you're going to be going against Mike Kliss or somebody. And you know what? Don't you think about their feelings for one minute? You know, so I, I love that Tua Tagovailoa did that. Because I think the majority of people believe football players are just so talented that they show up on Sunday and go yeah. to work. And that's not the case at all. You have to spend – you spend three to five times as much time in the classroom and watching film than you do on the field. And it's a drastic change. And one of the things people forget is these are human beings too. I mean, how are you on your first year of the job, right? I mean, you're probably better now than you were. I hope to God you are, right? Yeah. <laughs> but – you know, and reporters have a job to do, and we always forget how hard the other person's job is. And, you know, I, I had a – I was doing Sirius XM, and I had a, a guest from a camp talk, and he said, oh, I'm hungry. I got to go get food. I said, don't do that. I can't stand when, you know, journalists and writers, oh, I didn't eat all day like you were practicing. You had all day to find some food, <laughs> and because of whatever you got going on, you didn't eat. Like, be an adult, eat some food, and come to practice, you know. Um, so I'm glad that Tua did that. And I hope a lot of people realize how difficult it is. I mean, you have you get your master's if in your rookie season in the NFL, and you get your doctorate if you're lucky enough to play five or more years. Yeah, well, that's great. I, I, the, the protein bar in training camp is your friend, man. He, anybody can throw one of those in their pocket. That's what I'm, I'm telling. I'm, I'm, Snack I'm pack or something. Come on, bro. Something. Yeah, <laughs> Ryan Harris, man. Uh, couldn't couldn't thank you more for coming on, joining joining the podcast. Best of luck with the call in San Francisco, and we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Nick, you're the man. You're one of the best at what you do. Fun to join you, my friend. Thank you.